Hello, I'm Rain Phoenix, and you're listening and watching Launch Left Podcast. So happy to be back. It's been a while. We paused in solidarity with the SAG strike, but now that it's been resolved, we are back and with a very special guest, Mike Mills of REM. Woo! I've known Mike for a really long time, I think since before I was 21. I'm excited to get into this conversation. He is one of the most amazing musicians and harmony singers, I believe. He's launching the Lemon Twigs today on the show. Let's get into the conversation. Don't forget, rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials at Launch Left. Hello again. Mike Mills. <clears throat> Thank you for being on Launch Left Podcast. So happy to have you here. It's my pleasure to be here, Rain. Mike, I was trying to think of how long we've known each other. I'm going to guess I was. it was before I was 21 that I met you. Do you do you recollect? I feel like I came with River to to a show. Perhaps you all played in Atlanta, maybe. I almost want to say one in Florida too. But yes, definitely y'all came, and hell, it might have even been Athens. I don't know, but um, yes, it's been it's been since. Well, gosh, when we I don't want to. We don't need to pin down when you were twenty one, but it's been it's been a while since we've known each that we've known each other. I'm okay. I'm very very transparent about my age. I think that uh, that's okay. I'm happy to be fifty one. All right, I'm Woo! I'm moderately pleased with being sixty four. Wow, and so young. You've just been now. You've just finished this giant big star tour, right? <laughs> Well, it wasn't it wasn't so much giant. I wish it were. Um, the band that we have together for this is so great. Uh, you know, of course, Jody Stevens on drums, the original member. We've got uh, John Auer, uh, Pat Sansone from Wilco, Chris Stamey and me as the band. And it's just it's a super bunch of guys. And we have really great fun. We did four shows in Spain. And then uh, my wife and I went to Morocco for a week. Wow. I know. And yes, there were camels involved. That's amazing. My friend Catherine just got back from there. That's wild. Uh, I've always wanted to go. Uh, so was it completely warm compared to being in Europe where it was hitting, you know, winter? It was really nice. It was, uh, it was you know, T-shirt or long sleeve shirt during the day in the 60s. And then at night, you know, you could wear a nice jacket and, and go to dinner. Um, you know, we we took one night to go out in the desert where we had a camel ride and all that stuff, and and it gets a little chilly out out in the uh, out the desert when the sun goes down. And Mike, did you ever think that this was going to be your life when you were a teenager, ahead of just starting a like garage rock band? And did you did you ever have dreams of this as a young adult? You know, I, I don't. I, I'm a I am a live in the moment guy. Uh, I always have been. Um, you know, I think it's it was something that was really useful for the band, uh, as because some of the other guys weren't, and I think it's just a it's a handy thing to have uh, as a grounding piece, maybe. Um, so I didn't really, you know, I'm not a driven person. I didn't really have goals and dreams and ambitions. I just wanted to see what life, you know, presented to me and take advantage of it when it came out. So. You know, I always knew I'd be involved in music in some way. My parents were both musical. There were always pianos and things around the house. So I knew I would always play music. I just had no idea I'd actually get paid for it. What um, what would do you feel like was your first sense of that feeling of like, wow, this is going to be, I'll be able to make money from it. Like, this is my career. Would you remember that moment? I actually do. Peter and I were walking down Broad Street in Athens, and I, I don't remember what had happened the night before. Um, 
we might we might have signed the deal with IRS to put out the EP, or it might have even been before that. But but Peter just looked at me. He said, "You know, we might actually be able to make a living with this." And and I said, "Yeah, I, I think we're good enough. You know, if if just if we're lucky enough too, because it takes a lot of that." And uh, yeah, but that was the day that I remember both both of us had that little epiphany that this might actually turn into a long term thing. And how old are you? Do you remember? <laughs> That's it. It had to be very early '80s, you know. If it was, if it was signed, if it had anything to do with IRS, it would have been '82. Uh, it could have been a little earlier than that. Wow! So you were really young. Um, and were your your family was always supportive of the arts and you being involved in that? Oh yeah, yeah. My my band, the band that Bill Berry and I were in in Macon, uh, we used to practice in my parents' basement. And the, my dad, you know, they're both musicians. My dad is, was an operatic tenor, a dramatic tenor, and my mother played piano and guitar and all that. So, of course, they were super supportive of music. Even, even after uh, the bass vibrated my dad's half gallon of bourbon off the shelf onto the floor, uh, I was afraid that uh, <laughs> that might be the end of practices at the house. But it was, it was, he was fine with it. That's wonderful because he was he was in the military. Were you kind of like a um, what do they call that? Mili- what are they called? military brat? Army no, brat? He, yeah, military brat. Yeah, he was gone uh, for the first couple of years of my life, uh, based overseas, and so he came home, and I'm like, "Who's this guy wanting my mother's attention?" And and he was like, "Who's this kid that my my wife keeps paying attention to?" So we had a little period of adjustment, but uh, <laughs> we had a great life together, and I loved him very much. Oh, that's wonderful. And you spent a lot, most of your time in the South, in Georgia, but you were born in California. Born in the city of Orange because my dad was a Marine and my mom went out there. She and her mother went out there to have me so my father could be there. And then once I was old enough to travel, they drove me back to Georgia, where I've I've pretty much been ever since. And do you uh, still, I know the South especially these days, gets a bit of a bad rap. I was just back home in Florida. I absolutely love Florida. The sky, the way that, the you know, the sunsets, uh, the people that I know. And I do, like you, live in a kind of enclave of, of alternative thinkers in the southern states. Athens and Gainesville were always sister cities. We spent so much time in Athens. You, you all came down to Gainesville, which was rare for any band or anyone to come down to Florida, but you guys always represented. Do you still feel that kind of uh, nostalgia and affinity? I mean, is it still your home? It, it is still my home, very much so. I, I'm always, you know, I still live in the same house that I bought. The first house I ever bought was 1986, and that's still where I live in Athens. Um, it's really full of stuff. And I keep trying to, uh, Jasmine and I are trying to uh, cull as much as we can, but it's just a lifetime of, of memories and things that I don't really want to get rid of. So it's kind of hard to to uh, find any more space, but but we're working on it. But yeah, I, I just, I love Athens. It's, it is a bit of a blue bubble uh, in a red state, um, but Georgia's turning purple. Florida's been kind of purple. So um I'm very encouraged by that. I'm, I'm very happy with our two senators. And, uh, you know, even Governor Shotgun hasn't been the absolute worst. I mean, he's terrible, but he, there, there are worse governors out there. And we call him Governor Shotgun because he did an ad where he sat there with this kid. I mean, it was really stupid because he was virtually pointing the gun at the kid. And it was like, you know, if you ain't got my daughter home by 11 o'clock, I got this thing. Right? You know, basically, you know, threatening to murder the kid. It's like because that happened to me once as a as a kid about that age so maybe that's just a southern thing 
And has your experience, speaking of that kind of purple situation, I imagine that you have come in contact with and or been even friends with, you know, people who identify as quote unquote red by living there. Um, when you sit down and have a, a conversation about things that are shared, you know, our shared humanity, the things that we all value, like our safety and, and, and happiness in our families. Have you found that sometimes that, that blurs purple and you can accept some of these, you know, opposite to how you feel politically, or is it been a very do you feel very polarized within your experience of Athens well what you find is if you can get people to sit down and, and turn the heat off for a little while the goals are the same virtually the same it's just the means it's the methods and the means uh how do we get there but if you really define it in the broadest human terms we're all kind of trying to get to the same place my uncle whom I love dearly is a, a conservative Republican not not horribly so not not so much on the social side, but somewhat. But he and I, you know, holidays, we would we would start to get into it and, the, and the, everybody rolled their eyes and go, oh, no, here they go again. So some years ago, I made a set of rules for me and him. I said, OK, here's the deal. We can talk politics all we want because we both enjoy it. I said, we are going to not yell. We are going to hear the other one out. And when it's over, we're going to say, I love you. And uh, and we've we've worked with those rules for many years now, and it's uh it's worked out very well. My goodness. Well, I'm going to write that down after this and maybe even be able to put it in the YouTube uh, description um, to hopefully offer to others as Christmas is coming and, and, and everyone's going to have to be meeting and dealing with family members who share opposite uh, opinions and political ideas. At the end of the day, we are all humans and we all do just want to be happy. Like those simple things are true for all of us, right? So how do we find that? You know, I would think it's beautiful that you found a way to like set some ground rules and that your uncle uh, respected those and that you can actually, like you said, sit down and and let the heat out of the situation and just have conversation. Because I do think in many ways, that's the only way we're going to get to to find a common ground. Well, it, it of course, it's the only way that one of the real problems with politics uh, on a national level now is that compromise has become a dirty word. And, you know, everyone thinks or a lot of the extremists seem to think they can go in there and if they don't have it, everything they want and have everything their way, they're nothing's then they just won't vote for anything. And that is not how it works. Nothing works that way. You completely paralyze the government, which is for some of them, that actually is what they want. They they hate government, just the idea of it so much that they want to paralyze it and they want to shut it down and have it do absolutely nothing. But but for those who understand that, that really you need government, you need good people in government, and to make it work, you must compromise. The party in power is the party in power. And there's, you know, just simply taking your ball and going home doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah, it's... it's uh... It's about to be an election year. Woo! So I guess that's why we started talking about that. I didn't have, I never pre really prepare, I, you know, in terms of what we're going to talk about, because I always love to see, like you said, living in the moment where a conversation might take us as, uh, as two artists just shooting the shit. Uh, and we can curse on this show. So there, I said it. <laughs> uh, I was thinking though fondly as I was saying that about that time I got to sing with you guys uh, in well first of all when I got to sing on Bang Blame in Miami with Pat McCarthy producing that record um, 
that was such a treat. I think I was like 21 at the time and it sort of helped solid, you know, some of my continued trajectory in music. But then that that amazing mini tour I did with Angela McCluskey opening for you where I was uh, backing vocalist for her was just, I remember that so fondly. We had so much fun on the bus. I remember we, t- we watched, I got Michael to watch uh, Team America World Police. <laughs> and then he got obsessed with it for the rest of the tour. That's like a crowning moment for me that I got <laughs> that I got the band into that that movie. It, it, it's such a good movie, but- Completely, uh, we love it. We quote it all the time, <laughs> sing the songs. It's, it's, it's genius, it's just genius. <laughs> But thank you here here on public. I don't know if I ever thanked you personally, but I felt so lucky to get to sing on that record and be a part of a be be a part of the REM um, amazingness. So seeing you guys live multiple times in Europe and New York and Georgia, you know, it was such an empowering live performance as an as an artist myself. It showed me what was possible and how the pros really do it, and uh, I just value so much that time I spent with you guys. Um, and when I visited you, which for Up, uh, I think it was in San Francisco or Portland, you were working on Up, and uh, I think that just f- had its 25-year anniversary. It It is enjoying its 25th anniversary now. You know, I, I'm so glad you were there for that stuff, too, because, uh, you know, as much of, as lucky as we are to get to do this and as much fun as it is, it's a lot more fun if you can share it with people. And and if and if there are people that that become musicians or or are able to continue their musical career with a little inspiration from something we've done, that's that's a great feeling. Uh, and you've obviously taken the ball and run with it. Your music is beautiful. I love the way you sing. And um, you know, I'm just I'm really thrilled that we've both had these great musical careers. Yeah, thank you so much. Um... So what's next for you? Uh, I know you have the baseball project. Is that right? Is that what it's called? The baseball project is happening, yes, with uh, Steve Wynn and his wife, Linda Pittman, on drums and Scott McCoy and Peter uh, on the live. Well, Peter actually came out on the live tour. We just did about five weeks a couple of months ago, and it was super fun. Uh, we sold out a bunch of places, and Ooh. and uh, <laughs> it was funny. I, I got the I got the first tour itinerary and I didn't pay that much attention to it to my dismay I realized that they had booked 19 shows in 21 days and I and I called the guy I said are you crazy I mean I didn't do that when I was 22 and you want me to do it now and we you know we did it and it was fine and we pulled it off and you did you know, it. I had to hold the whole time but it was uh it was a little more intense than I really wanted to get well, uh, the the plus is maybe you weren't stuffed in like a fifteen pass van with everyone, which is... no, I, I did lay down some laws. I said no, we 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 do we do a sprinter, uh-huh. and uh, preferably the one with the captain's chairs, as opposed to bench seating. Because I mean, you know, Peter's Peter's back is messed up. Mine ain't a whole lot better, and there is just no reason to go out there and put yourself into traction because you want to do a you don't want to save money on tour. You have to, at some point, accommodate the fact that your body will not do what it used to do. Right. Now, your vocals, can I just gush a little bit about your harmonies and your um, 
in your style of how you play music. It's it's so how you played the bass, so beautiful, so innovative. Your melodies with bass, but also just you are one of my favorite harmony singers of all time. Like when I think when people, if anyone were to ask me, you would be in the top five. I know that you weren't traditionally or, or professionally trained, so to speak, right? You didn't go to music school. Um, do you think that not going factored into how you approach both your harmonies and your m- melodic bass playing? Um, you know, I did. I had some training, but it was uh, of the type that, for example, the woman who taught me how to play piano, my dear friend, uh, Susie Anderson, um, she said, look, do you want a bunch of theory and you want to sit down and read music or do you just want to be able to sit down and play the piano. I said, that's what I want. I don't need to be able to read music and know all the intricate details of why it works. I just want to know how it works and and how I can play it. So uh, she was great with that. And that was very helpful. But on the other hand, having some training really helped in REM because there were, there were a lot of times that I could uh, take some rather abstract ideas that came from certain quarters of the band and try to make it into a, a musical reality. So that was helpful helpful um you know you know what actually uh i am an atheist but i was in church for a while of course as as a lot of people are when they're younger and i really enjoyed being in the youth choir uh because i learned about harmony i I took the tenor harmonies and and i remember reading in the hymnal i could find my part and i could see how it related to the other parts so uh it was very helpful me at to me as a harmonist um to to have that training uh, so, so there's that. I, I just, I'm just all about melody. I love melody. I love passing chords and how you know moving, moving the bass note underneath. Like I just was saying in that up interview, if you listen to "Sitting Still," the second chord in the verse doesn't change, but I change the bass note and it makes it sound like it's another guitar chord, but it's actually the same. So that sort of thing is a is a big thrill as a bass player to know that you're actually in charge. Right. Did did you ever? Uh, I know you also. I think played organ and and different um, piano type instruments in REM. But um, were you always really satisfied with the holding down the bass? You know, or is it, or are other instruments of interest to you? Have you ever thought about making a record where you play other instruments as the main thing and doing a solo record? Or <laughs> well. Um, you know, over the years, I mean, I did, I played guitar even on Murmur, you know, on some of the things, just like right. additional guitars and, um, you know, and, and let me in on, on Monster Rats, me playing guitar on that. Ah, cool. Um, you know, Peter is not, I mean, believe me, I, I do in no way ever needed to get in Peter's way. He's the guitar player. He's one of the best guitar players I've ever known. But there were just some times when it was more appropriate for me to, to sit down and do whatever it was I was doing on guitar. Uh, he was always really cool about that. But no, I I, I love playing bass. Um, but the great thing about REM is we always gave each other the freedom to do other things. You know, I played most of the keyboards, but not all of them. Um, and, you know, if I wanted to throw a guitar part down, I could do it. And and nobody was going to sit there and go, no, you're not the guitar player. You can't do that. That was that was never what REM was about. So it was always there was always plenty of room for all of us to stretch out and do different things. That's so lucky. I think often, you know, in bands, there's that sort of roles you're meant to play and then people, and there's a lot more ego. I know from my experience visiting you all in the studio, um, 
there always felt like a camaraderie, a true camaraderie and a brotherhood that that was there. And it was less, you know, look, we all have egos and I'm sure that happens and happened. But there was this sense of we're sharing in this creation together and there's room like you're sharing right now. There's room for all of us to explore. That's you know, I haven't always seen that, especially with a bunch of dudes playing music. There's always a bit of a like cockfight that goes on. So it's always really, uh, I don't know, it was endearing to me seeing that and experiencing it to, that you guys had this like brotherhood that that seemed pretty strong. Well, it, it was for sure. I mean, we all did. We've always loved each other. I mean, it, it wasn't always easy. I mean, as my friend Bobby McDovey said, we had to have a couple of come to Jesus moments uh, where where someone, me, had to take the bull by the horns and say, okay, here's how certain people are feeling about some things. And here's how other people are feeling about some things. And if we don't uh, find a middle ground for these feelings, we're going to lose the band. And even then we all realized that this was our life's work. This is the best thing we're ever going to do. And if, if we can't sublimate our egos to do this incredible thing that we have, then, then we don't deserve to have this thing. And, uh, you know, once that got put out there, everybody was like, yeah, that's true. Okay, let's let's do whatever we have to do to make this work. And and for the most part, everybody was really good about that. Well, that in itself is, is a bit of a more elevated, dare I say, wisdom approach to combating, you know, the natural born ego that we all have is that you had the foresight to all go, wow, this is something pretty magical that happened. And the four of us came together and to circumvent that with the I, me and mine piece and not the we part, right, is is to destroy the very magic that we're creating. So let's 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 focus on the we here. That in itself, I think there we can see the the uh, the wasteland of many bands who did not take that wisdom based approach. Right there, are many and 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 you know maybe maybe that was their trajectory. But I'm glad that you all had that. You know? Well, you know, a lot of it was uh, Peter and I were both, but of, of course, much more so. Peter, Peter's a rock and roll historian. I, I am to a lesser degree, but Peter already knew the things that would trip a band up. For example, when we when we first started writing songs, he said, we're going to credit them all to all four of us equally. I said, well, why would we do that? He goes, well, because that's where the money comes from. And if one or two guys make all the money, the other two guys are not going to be happy about that and the band will break up. And I said, well, I'm not worried about the money. I just want the credit. <laughs> and he said, well, he said, I understand that, but but you can't have one without the other. He said, uh, he said, let's just do this. Well, we're all going to share in our success or lack thereof equally. And it was without a doubt, I think the best decision we ever made, probably the best decision. If you really want to be a band and you really want to keep it together for a long time, that's a decision you have to make. I, I was just reading Warren Zane's book about Tom Petty and he did that for a while. And then he was convinced by his record company that he was the songwriter and he needed to get the songwriting credit. And I was like, oh, that's a bad sign. Things are mm -hmm. not going to go well after this. And, you know, they kept most of the band together, but it's still, it's it's just, you know, it's it's going to cause resentment. There's no way it can. Yeah, inevitably that that part. I mean, that that brings me to the ongoing struggle I have with, you know, art unto itself isn't commodity, right? It's a this thing that is that comes that is a passion that you cannot stop and you want to share it and you want people to like it. But at the same time, we live in a world that, you know, that means that translates to 
profit, right? And it needs to. If you're going to keep making art, you have to be able to make a living. So it's this sort of like this thing that happens where the the best intention, like where it comes from, is just the purity of the passion to create and the you know the wanting to share it. But then there's this other piece that can be corrupted by the people who maybe hold the purse strings or or, you know, get the credit or whatever it is. And so there's that constant struggle. And, you know, if you have a band with four people who are actively working their ass off, splitting it in four ways makes does make the most sense to like equalize any of that. Otherwise, you create this like ongoing battle around it. And and until, you know, the world changes, and it's not necessarily based on this idea that you know, of just art as profit, you know, um, that's just the way it's going to be. So probably the path of least resistance is to share for sure. But I understand your point about credit, like, well, no one knows I wrote this whole song. <laughs> well, you know, but again, there, there's, there's, there's the sublimation of the ego yeah. that you, you have to do if you're going to make a marriage work or any relationship work. And a, a band is like four marriages at once. So you better be prepared to to sublimate that ego and make some compromises. I always describe the other thing we were talking about as, as literally the intersection of art and commerce. And like any other intersection of two roads, that's where most of the accidents happen. And so one of the struggles that, well, not even a struggle, but one of the problems that must be solved by musicians as they go forward is how much do you want to play the game? How much do you want to work with the record company to sell these records? Uh, how, how much is it going to compromise your integrity? Uh, and obviously for us, that was pretty much as set at zero and stayed there. But, um, but there are certain things you do that, that like, for example, fortunately, thank goodness, Michael is a visual artist because I hate videos. I hate being in them. I hate the whole idea of them. The only reason we did them is because the record company is like, well, how we, you know, in this environment in the eighties, you cannot promote records without videos. That's just how it is. I said, well, okay, fine. So fortunately, Michael liked to make art and he liked to make visual art. So we didn't have to depend on the record company directors to come up with more exploding milk bottles and, you know, women's stilettos and all that stuff. We had, we had our own built-in vision. So that was very helpful. Yeah. Your videos were always great. And I love how you would engage local artists in Athens to be involved or, or be in them and direct. And I even got to be in, uh, what is it at, at, at my most beautiful, which was so fun. That was part of the up record as well, right? Yeah, that was on that one. That was so fun. And I got to pretend to play cello. Thanks to Dermot Mulroney. I even may have looked like I sort of knew what I was doing. You did. But you did. <laughs> and you got the thumbs up from everybody. It was great. <laughs> that was that was a really a, a fun experience. Well, I want to ask you one more f question before we bring the lemon twigs in, which is your launched artist for today. But and that is just if you have any advice out there for artists who are struggling or, or want to do music or maybe they're young and starting out or maybe they've been around for a while and they want to throw in the towel because it's a really difficult landscape we're looking at where you know, over 100,000 songs are uploaded a day. It's really hard to get attention. And 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 just if you have um, any pearls of wisdom from your many years, I know you've lived through all the versions of the record industry and so that things have changed a lot, but just something inspiring. Don't feel like you have to if you don't. Oh, God, well, you know, the, the problem with it is that, you know, 
in 20, 2011, when we looked around at the industry and saw how much it had changed and how different it was from everything we'd ever know, we we're like, nope, we're out of here. So I, I don't know that I'm really the best to ask for advice about today's climate, today's environment in music. It's it's uh, it's so radically different. You know, they call it the long tail, uh, the, the graph where you have a very few artists that are way up here and then it drops off and then everybody else sells this many records. And um you know, I guess it it enables you to make maybe a living at it. I don't know. I've given Daniel Leck plenty of grief in public because I think Spotify rips off musicians horribly. He's he's a billionaire and and uh, and he pays like put point oh oh three percent of oh oh three cents per stream. It's just it's insane. But um, you know, just do what you love. The only advice can ever be do what you love. Uh, when something feels like it's got a lack of integrity to you, then don't do it. Um, because even if you don't make money at it, you'll be able to look at yourself in the mirror and and feel good about the music that you make or the art that you make. Thank you. I was hoping you'd say something like that. Thank you. <laughs> what? Hello. Hey. Hey. Hello. You must be can Brian. Right? Yeah, we can hear you. Is this Brian and Michael, and which one's which? This is Brian. This Brian is Michael. Michael. Yes. So nice How's to meet going? you guys. Nice to meet you too. It seems like you're in in flux on the road, somewhere in a tour van, maybe even. <laughs> we're we're in my mom's car, uh, in in Brooklyn, in downtown Brooklyn, actually. He was at uh, he was at the train museum. Yeah, yeah. And Brian he called was at the me metro said, museum. Yeah, yeah. Brian called me and said we got to do this interview. Yeah, yeah. And I was like. He was you busy. Gotta just come and get me. Because... He was busy looking at trains. <laughs> Where is there a train museum in Brooklyn? It's like downtown Brooklyn, like, but you you know you can go in the old trains and stuff from the twenties and and from the forties and sixties and seventies. I want to do that. I'll be doing that. It's yeah. super cool. Yeah. All right. I'm in. <laughs> you guys are so old school. I love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, welcome to Launch Left. We're so happy to have you, and and Mike is launching you on the show, and we're hey. both listening to your music on our own and loving it. And I know you guys started super young, is that right? And you've always played together. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always been convenient. It's like one less person you have to find to put together a band, you know. And uh, yeah, it was just very natural, you know, like. Yeah, we started with our dad and we just all it helped that we were like totally obsessed with the Beatles and Beach Boys and stuff. He didn't have to kind of like force it upon yeah. us. Yeah. So we just sort of gravitated towards the music he liked and we ended up just jamming together in the basement all the time. Yeah. We and we it's it's really difficult to um I I don't know like with the the Big Star third group and stuff that we like that's a group of great musicians to play with and stuff for us we always find it so hard to find like people like, people that, to like that to play with you know like, i just did my own show and i was like oh i'm gonna do my own show i'm not gonna use brian brian's not gonna be in it, it you know it's gonna be just me and then at the last minute i had to get him in just because to fill out the sound <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason for that well that, that's, it's, it's so cool though that, that we loved having you guys on the big star uh show because Obviously, you know, your musical sensibility is right in line with with most of us, certainly uh, 
not unlike Alex's and, and Chris Bell's, um, you know, musical approaches. Um, I, I was listening to your later record, your newest record, and I was like, see, what I love is that song craft is important to you guys. You know, writing important, different, distinctive songs is clearly important. And that's something that always mattered to Ari. And that was, that was what we always considered our strength was our songwriting. And yeah. uh, yeah. so I really enjoyed listening to the way you guys approach that and your singing, your harmonies. It's all, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve about, about being vulnerable and also the type of music that you like. And I, and I just really get a kick out of listening to it. And so it was super fun to have you guys on the Big Star thing, too. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we're just trying to be as interesting as we can to one another. And we kind of, from just liking a lot of the same stuff, it's like, if you write something that's like dead simple, there has to be some other element to it that, that elevates it, you know, in the melody or whatever, you yeah. know, and that's where like we're, our, you know, like a gimmick. Like a gimmick, yeah. Every, everything's got to have it. Every song's got to have a gimmick, or a gimmick, it's just really or, nice, or something. Yeah. You know, like everybody hurts, you know. And one of our biggest hits. It's like if you take Michael's vocal off that, there's not a whole lot going on. You know, it's not right. really that that exciting of a song. So we did it, and we liked it because it had that stupid drum machine on it. We were like, well, maybe Michael can do something with it, and then you know he did. And that's what takes. Yeah. You know, Oh, but 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 what R.E.M. always tried to do was even before Michael ever put anything on it, we like to have a song that was interesting to Peter and Bill and I before there was any singing on it. You know, in other right. words, our songs were not just vehicles for Michael's words. They were songs in and of themselves. And I think that really gives it an extra dimension that I think you guys have as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, um, with Brian and I working with two people and stuff sometimes i feel like the backing um because you go through the thing of not having the different members to kind of uh bounce wanna, ideas off. well and they want to be interesting in and of themselves you know what i mean so sometimes we get to a point where we go we just lay down drums and it's kind of like i'll get to the end of the recording process and go god those drums could have been a little more interesting you know because i was being safe about it because i thought you know because I'm trying to do something, I'm not hearing everything at the same time, or I'm not able to try things out, right? So I feel like um, that's something I'd be interested in doing is working with more people just to kind of, you know, liven up. I felt like... Liven the, up an, an arrangement. Yeah, right? an arrangement where things are working together. And I mean, the the benefit, though, is too, with especially with Brian, is that a lot of time he'll do a bass track or something. And then it'll be communicating directly with a guitar track because he knows he even did that at that one little phrase, you know what I mean? Because he did it. Nobody else. Would. There was a purpose behind that. And it's, yeah, I mean, because you, you, songs tend to build themselves, you know, like, like you said, you put a drum track down and then later on in the song, you're like, oh, man, I could have done much more than that with that. And, you know, maybe you still can. Sometimes you still can go back and, and, and right. make it a more complex piece and, and, and bring in that new energy. But that's what I like to do is bounce ideas off people. It's like with R.E.M., if like, you know, like you said, you want to make each other happy. Well, the same thing in the band. It's like if I write something and Peter goes, that's really good, then I know I've done something right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, if, if your uh, collaborators are people you really, you know, believe yeah. That's and, right. Like, have a sensibility to. And if you don't, if you don't respect your collaborators, you're in the wrong group. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That well, I think I'm in the wrong group. <laughs> I set you up for that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. I mean, that's the thing about uh, being brothers is that it's the ultimate. You have the ultimate respect, but then you also have carte blanche to, you know, show the ultimate disrespect <laughs> true, to one yeah. another. Yeah, like where are they going to yeah, go? You know, going to move out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously just like, yeah, if he, he could be as rude as he possibly could to me, I could never be like, you know. Yeah. I, I just can't, I don't even, I've heard it all my life, you know, I can't even. We've found that when we've worked with other people that we have to really learn the language of uh, being critical, like in a respectful way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's we kind of go, we err on the side of like not saying anything. Yeah, which know? shouldn't be bad too, you know? Yeah. Like err on the side, yeah. You have, you have to, be to be skillful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you have, you have your knowledge and you, you know, your opinions are valid because you, you know, they are because you, you've already created beautiful things. You just, you just have to have a way to, to communicate that without uh, making it personal, you know, without, you know, going after somebody's ego. And that's because that's where you can really hurt them. You just have to keep it on a professional level. And, and it's hard, you know, it's communication is tricky. And, and that's true. And obviously in all facets of life, but especially in a band. Yeah. I, I admire that when I see it, uh, when I work with people and I see somebody able to direct people, tell them what to, you know, I'm always like, that's a nice trait. That'd be nice, <laughs> nice to develop that, that trait. I mean, we're starting to, he, he's really good at it. Really, Brian is really good at it. That's something that I need to be um, kind of, I defer to Brian, you know, so if we're doing my songs or something like that, it can be like, um, sometimes at the end of a, arranging it with the live group to try to get it to translate it live or something i'll go is that really what i wanted or did i just kind of let brian take over or whatever but it's kind of he really is much better at at telling people what to do without hurting people i seem to either be like oh okay or to be like uh the opposite i because i'm forcing myself to do it you know so. yeah being a little too blunt yeah you're, but the thing is, that you're always you're always going to look back at a record in five years and go, "Damn, I wish I'd done this other right, thing." Right. You know, that's just that's built in. You can't really get around that, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Well, being brothers, I hear if I'm hearing you right, you know, and I know this because I have five siblings and we do art together. It's uh, the shorthand. You know, you and you can be a lot more like cutthroat with your siblings because, like you said, you're not gonna ditch them or break up with your siblings. So there's this sort of shorthand um, way to talk that to others might look like, oh my god, they said that, but it actually just makes it faster. But then when you get into a room with collaborators, you can't use that language. And so if I'm hearing you right, you're like having to find new ways to talk to collaborators and not talk to them like a brother, because that can seem a little bit rough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The other thing is, can, it can be kind of um, an obstacle is if we're working with somebody and they say something like, oh, you guys have a secret language going here, or something like that. It's like, and, and then they feel like we're shutting them out. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, right. And, 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 and uh, so we have to make an effort to kind of not just kind of go away in a corner and do, you know, and, and you know what's, what's, how to arrange the song. <laughs> how to well, arrange. 
Thank this you. is where this is where a good producer comes in because a right. really good producer is as much about he's got to be as much of a psychologist as he does an engineer or anything else because when you're working with a band you know they're, they're going to have trouble communicating it always happens and the producer has to be sort of the interlocutor between band members uh, to the point of breaking up fights or or stopping somebody from stomping off and going out and getting drunk or or letting them go out and get drunk you know maybe that's what needs to happen at the time it's a it's it's a tough job being a producer which is why i don't do it you produce more bands i said because it's freaking hard and i don't have any interest in working that hard <laughs> Well, as the sun begins to set and it's hard to see you too, I, I wonder I wonder if there's any uh, anything you want to share with us that's upcoming that you know our audience can can grab onto and see and hear you, um, whether it's uh, live shows or what's your newest yeah. record or yeah. Well, we're gonna well we're gonna do some live shows in December in California, so we're playing like. We're playing up and down the coast pretty much. Yeah, yeah. We're playing going from San Francisco, San Francisco to, uh, to, I don't know, to, to LA? Diego or something? To Los Angeles. I don't know that we're... Are we playing in San Well, we're playing a lot of shit. And I, well, I don't know. We're playing like seven we're playing shows. playing Santa Barbara, Felton, um, <laughs> places I hadn't, haven't played before. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have some new music in the upcoming year. Yeah, we're going to have another... Another album yeah. done. So. Just put one out? Well, we put one out in May, uh, and we're we're pretty much done. Well, we are done with with the next one, so wow. that that'll be that'll be coming up. But it was recorded mostly at the same time. Yeah, as kind the of last the one. same time. Um, finished up more, and the the last one had been done for a while. It yeah, was like, it just took it really the 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 reason it was so quick. But I think that we try to do it quickly, but it was because the last one. There was three years between the last one yeah. and the one before, yeah. which, you know, on our, like, you know, that was our fourth record. It was, just weird. it was just hard to get it out. It seemed a little, it seemed a little bit like not, Long. not enough material. <laughs> well, that's, that's always an issue <laughs> or often an issue. Yeah. yeah. Content, content, content. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's like, you have to put something out every month to, Stay relevant. I, I find it really interesting too, because I also have a little label imprint with Launch Left, and and so I try to let the artists have at least four singles, like which is crazy. But then, because once you drop the record, it's like, when's the next one coming out? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's it. Yeah. Like it's like so strange. So almost it feels like a singles situation. It's nice when you have people who are really into the record and keep listening. But often, as soon as you drop a full body of work there. That question is when's the next one. So I try to eke it out over time to at least like allow for people to digest one song at a time before they just go, when's the next one? Yeah. It's interesting because with, with our, in our experience with the labels that uh, we've only been on a couple labels, but in our experience, it's always been, it, it takes so long once we deliver the music for them to put out, the record because vinyl is big for yeah the, for for the label for us, that we've yeah. worked with so yeah. uh it, it it takes so long to 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 make the record that uh um we usually feel like oh we wish it could just come out like a month after we yeah um, deliver it and all we that stuff finish it yeah yeah because when once it becomes nine months from you know then you go finishing it, it then you you already have time to 
know what you don't like about it. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas there's, like, there's this like, you know, there's, a great dumb, period there's of, this uh, dumb joy that you feel when you just finished it, <laughs> where you have no regrets. You're like, I got everything right. And then you start to uh, live fades. with it. Yeah, it fades. Song by um, song. Without fail. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Plus, you know, you, you by that point, it, and as prolific as you guys are, maybe in spurts, but still you're very prolific, you know, at that point, you've moved on. You're already on to the next thing. It's like, get this thing out and get it behind right. me. You can do the next thing, yeah. It's Mike Mills, and I'm here and happy to launch the Lemon Twigs, their most recent album, Everything Harmony, and they're going to tell you what song you're going to hear. This is a song called In My Head, uh, written by my brother, Michael. And thanks for launching us, Mike. My pleasure. This has been fun. Thank you all so much for being on Launch Left. We look forward to seeing you live in LA when you come through. And Mike, always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you for your time and amazing music throughout the years. Thank you, Rain. Always oh. a pleasure to be here. All right, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, right, thanks for having me. Thank, thank you, guys. Yeah, see ya. In my head, in my head, I am.
Orange Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields.